This podcast has been made possible by Planful and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Sean Quinn from Simpress, and you're listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 591. You know, one of the things that I think the CFO has to do in the organization is be that one person who starts asking the the critical questions of what if, you know, what, what if, what if the the some of our customers have difficulties making making payments on time? What if our customers start canceling their service? How are we going to react? What are, what are what are our strategies to ensure that you know we we're focusing our resources on business continuity? And I and I mentioned before the most important thing for us is our customers and our employees. And and so when we're faced with COVID nineteen, we're, we're certainly asking the questions of what is going to be the general broader impact. And I will tell you that we've all been shocked. I don't care you know, whether you listen to investment bankers or you listen to the media, you listen to the, we've all been shocked at just the rate at which the, the things have changed. Andrew Casey built his career inside a string of Silicon Valley companies with names like Sun Microsystems, Oracle, Hewlett Packard, ServiceNow. But it wasn't until this past March 2020 that he entered the CFO office for the first time at WalkMe. Casey's next chapter opened the very month business as we know it began to shut down. We speak to CFO Andrew Casey about his latest chapter and the chapter industry at large must now open after this. In an ever-changing world, it can be tough to keep up with the latest FP&A trends and innovations that keep you ahead of the game. Luckily, there's a podcast for that. Tune in to Being Planful, the podcast for finance leaders and planning experts, and stay in the know about what's happening in planning and forecasting. Guests like influencer Chris Ortega, Boston Red Sox CFO Tim Zhu, and Brian Lapidus of AFP will keep you up to speed on how you can put finance in the driver's seat this year. Find the full episodes at beingplanful.com or wherever you get your podcasts. P.S. Think you might make a great guest on the show? Shoot host Rowan Tonkin an email at beingplanful at planful.com. Hello, we're speaking with Andrew Casey, CFO of WalkMe. Andrew, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Jack. I appreciate you taking the time and i um, really glad to be here. So, Andrew, uh, first take us back. And, and once more, uh, we always open with this, as you might know, uh, but share some of those experiences you feel prepared you for a CFO role. What comes to mind for you? 
You know, there was a few of them in, in my past that I would I would say really stand out. And they're ones that I, I tell people about all the time about how I've how they helped shape my thought process of becoming a CFO. And I'll tell you one, there was one in particular time at Sun Microsystems that I that uh, was when I was in I was in manufacturing finance, believe it or not. I was a little bit of a technology nerd, which is why I love being at technology companies. And um, I had been asked to go interview for the investor relations position. And um, it was asked by um, by uh, the, the manager at the time and thought that I'd be really good in the role. Um, and so I started the process, but a lot of people were telling me it was the wrong thing to do. It was a PR job. It was you know a communications job. It was it was going to take me away from the finance and accounting track that that uh, they kind of laid out for me and for the job. Um, and, and Sun was a very good company at rotating people. You know, you got lots of different experiences. And so this wasn't on the the prescribed track, if you will. You know, and investor relations was something that you know really wasn't thought of as that is that valuable for a finance and an accounting executive. So I went, I heard the messages and I listened to it, but, um, you know, I wrote down the things that I thought were really important about the job and what was going to, what I was going to get out of it. And, um, you know, I always tell people, look, you need to know what you're running to. You need to know what you're running to and what experiences you're going to get from that. And I wrote down that the job would allow me to improve my communication skills and my presentation skills. It would allow me to get exposure to Wall Street, you know, buy side, sell side, institutional money managers, as well as investors. And it would allow me to really get insights into what a CFO does every day. And so I thought, you know, let's let's at least go through the process. And I interviewed and then I got to um, the CFO and we were having conversations. And it was very it was much like not like an interview it was more like a, a discussion. He said, you know, Andrew, you're you've got all the basic capabilities that I want you know, for this job. And frankly, you're going to have a great finance career. And you're but you're kind of the dark horse in this this competition. A lot of other people have done it. And uh, he, he said, well, why do you want the job? And then I went through that list of, hey, these are the reasons I want I want. And um, he told me afterwards, he said that made all the difference in the interview process. And, you know, he really wanted me in the job. And um, so whenever I tell people about this, they always ask me, so what was that pivotal decision that made you want to go when everybody else was telling you that you shouldn't? And I said, you know what, if I wanted to become a CFO, listening to the CFO was the first step. You know, and that he was the one person, Mike Lehman at the time, who I uh, thankful, uh, very thankful for a lot of mentoring and tutelage over the years, um, shadowing him and being a part of that organization and getting those experiences is something that um, has really shaped how I think about the CFO role. And it's and it's one that um, even when I got into it, I got those experiences. I got I, I improved my communications. I understood Wall Street better and the art of actually managing expectations. Um, and I understood what it what it was to be a CFO, but at that point in time, before Reg FD, it was also about selling. It was about selling the message of Sun Microsystems to investors and having them take positions within Sun versus other technology companies in their portfolio. And I will tell you that has then led me to be a sort of salesman and support for our, uh, for companies that I've worked for in a lot of respects. In fact, a lot of my jobs that were in finance were in specifically in sales finance roles where I helped build the go-to-market organizations. And so that role in investor relations, I look at back and I say that, you know, maybe a lot of people told me I shouldn't have done it, but it was the one time in my career that I can point to that I listened to the one person that mattered the most, and that was the CFO. Well, I want to uh, point out, Andrew, you so many of the companies you were part of, and they're all, uh, as you mentioned, Silicon Valley names that we know well, 
And uh, you made an investment uh, of time. Uh, for instance, at Sun Microsystems, I think you were near, nearly nine years there. Uh, Semantic, four years. Uh, and of course, uh, more recently, ServiceNow, you were there five years and, and 10 months. So you're making an investment of time. And I always make that uh, distinction because uh, other finance executives are, you see two year stints or, or what have you. No, you're making an investment every step along the way, it seems to me. And the other thing I want to point out about your career, uh, just uh, the uh, Silicon uh, uh, Graphics, excuse me, uh, not Silicon Graphics, Sun Microsystems. Uh, uh, that was uh, Sun's great uh, competitor at one place in time. I mentioned that because uh, for those uh, listeners who might not know all of uh, the Sun Microsystems history in Silicon Valley, it was such just an amazing company that set the pace for workstation technologies for so many years and really rode the waves of quite a few uh, new developments. Uh, and it had a colorful CEO, but it had its ups and downs too. And I have to imagine, if you wouldn't mind, there were tough times too. Sun had its share of layoffs along the way. Uh, but can, can you tell us a little bit about some of the ups and downs from a an, an executive in the finance ranks there? Yeah, I think I think that's the thing you find really quick, and, and uh, I think that you learn everything from uh, you learn lots of different things from experience, as you as you point out, the good times and the bad times. Uh, and I would tell you, it, it's really where finance is is really very important to the organization is in the down times because it helps helps. Uh, to be the unbiased uh, person in the room with respect to the overall company priorities, the employee priorities, and making those trade-offs and decisions. And it's it, it too often, I think, operational managers and even potentially the executive team, they get a little bit biased in their thought process and and, and not seeing clearly what the what the market is leading to, not not thinking beyond just you know the current period. They're not thinking long term about the implications of decisions they make. And it's the finance leader that can help gain clarity to the strategic implications, the business implications of decisions you make. I mean it was very difficult for Scott, for instance, to, to lay off employees. I mean, we were we were looking at every different aspect of discretionary spend that we could bring down before we would reduce employees because finding and, and keeping good talent in the valley is so difficult. And um, you know, it's it it was as we went through some of those discussions, you know, it was just um, very difficult sometimes to get to that right level of how do you make the right decisions when when layoffs are to occur and, and making sure that you're still preserving the ability for the company co to continue and it's in its very um, it, at that point in time we had sun was so strong in some key technology areas and um, it was very difficult sometimes to reduce you know areas that uh, were so key to that innovation and growth now I, I want to ask you about walk me but I want to somehow segue there by asking you this question. It seems to me you you built your career largely in Silicon Valley, but these are large enterprise companies. Uh, you had the opportunity clearly earlier to join a startup or join some of the more entrepreneurial businesses out there. You did not. You stayed on that track. However, walk me and a, a, an opportunity to join this company. Uh, perhaps you're opening a new chapter. How do you characterize Perhaps your decision making in the bat, uh, in the past, where you didn't choose to take the entrepreneurial route, and your latest chapter. So one of the things I'll tell you is, um, and it, you probably know this, that, that that first CFO job is really really difficult to get. It's it's 
it's they got to have the right mix of of culture mesh with the executive team especially the ceo and uh, the board and and you've got to have um what they need you got to have this the skills and capabilities that they need you know in some cases companies will be looking for somebody who's very strong in revenue accounting or maybe they're re very strong in uh financial services but um walk me is a technology company that's a real disruptor in the marketplace and um, it's one of those areas that uh, the key for us in building our our brand, our reach, our capabilities is building the go-to-market team. And that's an area where I have a lot of experience. And um, the, um, the opportunities for for CFO, first-time CFO, they come actually all, all the time. You know, as you can imagine, ServiceNow became the the number one innovative company in the world, according to Forbes. Th there were people that were coming to me quite often over the last six years looking for me to come be a CFO of their company. Um, and often those opportunities were in areas that I that didn't match my skill set. They were they were with pharmaceutical company. They were with uh, logistics companies. There was they were with ser other services companies. And and although I could have done those things, they didn't really match with my skill set nor my aspirations. You know, and I I didn't want to be that CFO who took the job just because of the title. I wanted the job because it was something that I knew I could make a difference every day. I knew I could apply my skills and capabilities to problems that they were trying to solve. And that it matched my interests. You know, I'm a I'm an enterprise software nerd, if you will, a little bit. And I love the business model and I know it. And WalkMe offered me that unique opportunity to to be a part of an enterprise software company that has truly got a technological advantage in the marketplace and that I meshed very well with the skills and and the and the people there. So let me just ask you about WalkMe because we're curious, what was that opportunity that finally led you? Uh, to uh, you know, step into the CFO office. What does this company do, and what are some of the challenges uh, the business addresses? So, WalkMe is a digital adoption uh, platform company. What that really means is that we're addressing the biggest, the, one of the biggest problems I think that businesses are facing today, and it's how do they digitally transform their overall business uh, process. And you know, every day it seems that there's another software application that a business is introducing to their people and to their processes that needs to that they need to adopt in order to be more efficient, to reach new markets, to 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 just operationalize something that has been very manual in the past. And that requires a lot of users to actually learn how to use those applications in a very streamlined way. And if you remember, probably from your days of um, you know Microsoft Office, you know when the latest version came out, you got a manual, you had to read it, and you had to understand the features. And and if God forbid, if it was something that was very difficult to to actually do. You had, you had spent hours potentially trying to figure out just trying to do the basic operations. WalkMe is a technology that helps to completely uh, revolutionize the way people learn how to use software. It starts with breaking down core processes that people use. And I'll be more specific. Like if, if you were implementing um, a CRM environment for a sales team and they wanted to go learn how they create a new opportunity in their CRM, rather than going checking the manual or the help applications within within it, applications they'd simply do something very natural like go to the go to the application and walking me would know that these are the these are the standard processes that people should be doing and it tells them immediately how to do it and it's an easily it's an easy application too that says hey if you ask somebody to do it 
something to show me how to do an opportunity, it'll pop up bubbles and steps within the application to actually show them. So it's kind of like this, this, this really cross-platform capability that helps people learn about all these new applications that's really essential for digital transformation. So just want to get a sense when you arrive, uh, and we always like to, like to characterize this as your lines of sight. Uh, did you have the numbers you felt you needed to understand how the business was performing? Was there a certain set of numbers that just was out of reach that you had to do something to help, you know, raise their profile across the organization? Can you give us a sense of whether you were happy with your lines of sight? Was there something you did, a process you put in place, some tool you put in place, a meeting maybe that you put in place? to help raise the profile of certain numbers? You know what, um, because WalkMe is really a, 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 a very much a growth related company, the, the things that were most important to me were, I, knew, I understood the opportunity, I understood the market. Um, I did some research there, looked at what Gartner was saying about the evolution of the market. And for me, it was very familiar for with some of the things that ServiceNow had done about reestablishing its market from a you know an IT help desk to, to a broader, um, enterprise software company that's changing business processes. Um, and so WalkMe is very much the same thing. It's You could look at it as, hey, it's just a digital learning. It's just a, It just helps people learn. But it's really about re-architecting those processes in response to how people are learning. And so what was very important for me was to look at the annual recurring revenue, how many customers they have in the Fortune 500, you know, what's the level of, of efficiency of the sales team? You know, what was their plan for building that out? Um, look at how much they're actually burning in cash versus what they're actually generating in revenue. I wanted to see if there was an efficient model there. And, um, and there was a lot of information that, that the company actually shared with me. I was, uh, I was struck by the first interviews that I had with the board members and with the, um, the CEO, Dan Adika. Uh, he sat me down and he was actually giving me a pitch and showing me a technology and their roadmap. And I talked to, I, I said about halfway through the meeting, I said, this is one of the strangest interviews I've ever had. And, and he said, well, why is that? And I said, it feels like you're just pitching me the company. And he stopped midstream and looked me in the eye and said, well, you know, we're already convinced about you. We're just trying to sell you walk me. And, and that moment I knew that I could ask any question I could get, you know, and, and the rapport with Dan was, was uh, going to be really strong. He, he, he definitely looks at me as a, as a strong business partner and not just, you know, the accountant, not just the, the person who's recording the numbers, not just the person who's going to be squawking in the background about saving costs or, you know, redirecting um, how we do things. It is it, really about, I need a business partner to help me drive the strategic uh, objectives of the company and 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 you've got it and so from that moment on i think it was very easy for me to get to a lot of the the core measures um and that you know and i'd say look that doesn't mean that everything was perfect there's lots of things the reason they're bringing me in is to help scale the business and so there's there's things that i've seen and done as we as i built help build service now from 400 million to 4 billion you know there's a lot of things in that go to market build that uh, we need to do at walk me but the, the important thing for me is the opportunities there, the market uh, opportunities there. And we have great technology in which to apply it. And if you can bring that all together, have customer centricity with how you think and how you act. I mean, that means you put the customer first, you're listening to the customer, you have empathy for the customer uh, and you have a great team, then it just is so many of the ingredients that, that make a very successful company. 
So I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Often I ask this question: Did you reorganize finance? And of course, obviously, the response very frequently is, "Oh no, I didn't reorganize finance." I want to know a change that you might have made, though. And it might have been that you added a meeting. Uh, it might have been that you do a call, a weekly call instead of a biweekly call. What, how you lead is what I we'd like to understand better. Yeah. And I have to believe. You're coming from a lot of those large enterprise environments. So a lot of your new team members are kind of like, ooh, big enterprise guy. What's this going to be like? Yeah. Uh, tell, tell us a little bit about what you experienced as you came on board and whether there was a change that you made in some small way to help you lead better. Yeah, I'll tell you the the first first steps. Uh, you're you're hitting on something that's very important, and I and I want to just dive into a little bit more is is the change management aspects when a new leader comes in and uh, making sure that people understand what the mission is and what the objective is. And and in fact, that is one of my the first things that I've done as I I've. I've let people know who I am, you know, that I have a family, that I have I have aspirations for myself and for the company. And those things are very much interlocked. And I want them to understand that I wasn't there to, to just come in and, and put my stamp on things. I was there to really try to help architect the right organization and business processes that support our overall company objectives. So, you know, I started with, hey, this is our purpose. This is our priorities for the company. Here's our uh, here's our um, initiatives that we're driving and here's how finance and operations support it. And, and that I think is gonna allow me to make some of the big changes I know that are gonna be necessary in finance. And, and, and by the way, I run the operations organization as well. So it's, it's kind of that, right now it's kind of that dual hat of, hey, you get a little bit of COO, a little CFO as well. And um, I'm telling people from the beginning, you can expect that there's going to be a, a number of things that change, but it's not because I'm making changes just for the sake of it. We're going to make changes to help the business scale and grow. And, and, and it's simple things like, um, you know, a regular forecast process. You know, we, we probably had a, a very accounting focused process with respect to forecasts, but that's reporting, that's not forecasting to me. And, and you actually have to have a robust forecasting process to help managers reinforce decisions in a timely basis. And, you know, some of those, some of those things seem like very basic, but when your company is growing and it's growing so fast and it doesn't have a lot of those things built from the beginning, you, you have to go introduce them. And, and, and hopefully I'll, I'll do it in a way that makes the, the company and my teams understand that it's, it's really to make everything better for the company and, and, um, and that if we don't do it, it's going to be, a, it's going to be a hindrance. So we want to uh, jump to our signature question, which is where we ask you for a finance strategic moment. And again, this could be any time during the course of your career. Uh, looking back, you have a lot to choose from, I'm sure. But what would you share with us if, when we ask for a finance strategic moment? You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up an ish, uh, a time when I was um, I actually had to go and change the whole pricing strategy for ServiceNow, and it was one of those times where ServiceNow was growing, and uh, we were we were a single product company basically. We were very simple before. It was kind of everything was in one SKU, and, and we sold. Uh, all the capabilities in, in one product set. But we had aspirations to, to start taking some of those very nascent um, capabilities and turn them into products. And, and when you do that, you start encompassing different markets, different buyers, and different value propositions. And as a result, we actually had to start 
architecting and thinking about how we changed our pricing mechanisms to adhere to those, those new buyers' thought processes. So the way you sell an IT service implementation is very different from a security implementation, from an HR, or from a customer service implementation. And, and I, I remember quite vividly sitting in, in uh, this, this meeting room with all the general managers of these new business units that we'd created. You know, and business units were a new concept for ServiceNow, and it was, they were really just learning how to operate. And they were all fighting. They were, I mean, literally, if they had food in their hands, they'd be throwing it at each other. They were all fighting. And I said, hold on, hold on, guys, hold on. I, I, I don't understand why we're fighting. Let's, let's just understand the, let's get to this core of this. They said, look, there's no overall pricing strategy. There's, there's no focus on what we're trying to do in the marketplace. We don't know if we're trying to gather share. We don't know if, how we're competing against competitors and, and, our, and our customers are complaining. So we need an overall strategy that brings us together. And I said, I agree. Let's let's talk it through. And they said, you know what? But we can't do it. We need somebody who is who is unbiased. We need somebody who doesn't have you know any thought process and advancing their own individual business unit. And and they said, so we think you should do it. And so I said, okay, um, give me give me a couple of weeks. Um, let me think about this. I'll come back and I'll give you a presentation and what I think we should do. And what I did is I came back and I said, look, I, I explained the fundamentals of how a pricing strategy needs to be, be cognizant of you know, the maturity of our products and the maturity of our customers and how we think that their adoption journey should, should progress. Because we were selling for the moment, we weren't selling for you know, a, an anticipation that customers were gonna evolve with us and expand with us. And we have to make that as frictionless as possible. Um, so I architected this thought process of how we moved from what was a very archaic structure to one that was simplified, one that scaled, and one that ultimately uh, considered some of the competitive threats that we had in the future. And um, immediately it was it was it was ridiculed. It was it was criticized. It was you know not not everybody thought it was the right thing. And so it took me about believe it or not a, a year. Of, of socializing what we were doing, how we were doing it, showing some wins with customers for the company to really get on board with the strategy. And when we started making progress using that strategy and expanding uh, our enterprise customers, we got into what you know a lot of people call enterprise license agreements. I call them enterprise SaaS agreements because they're a little different for the SaaS world than they are for perpetual software. But I called them, hey, they're gonna introduce this enterprise SaaS agreement that allows us to put, you know, a, a large agreement in place for our customers and helps to really simplify and, ma and make that journey for them easier. And it became a roadmap sale based upon the, the strategy. And it just started influencing so many things that we did, you know, how we went to market, what our competitive positioning was, and we just got real succinct about, about how we introduced new products. And so it was, the reason I'm bringing it up is that first, very often finance doesn't get that involved in, in product strategy or product finance or even you know the, the pricing aspects of it. And this is an area where that because I've got a little bit of business background, I got a little bit of technology background, but I have a lot of finance and, tech and accounting background, I was able to bring that to bear into this discussion and help shape and mold really the strategic direction for the company. And um, you know, it's something that I think I've always prided myself on. I'm, I'm not I'm not really deep in any one area. I don't have great tax experience. I don't have great accounting experience. I don't have, you know, on and on, but I have a collection of, of business experiences and, and, and learnings that make me, you know, 
that much stronger, that my, my business acumen is that much stronger in those types of decisions. So that's why it stands out to me. This next question is one that I've only been asking the last 30 days, but clearly it should have been asked sooner. And uh, we want to know about how uh, this company is responding to the pandemic and COVID-19 and what steps you are taking to manage the company through this very unusual period. You know, one of the things that um, I think the CFO has to do in the organization is be that one person who starts asking the the critical questions of what if, you know, wh- what if, what if the the some of our customers have difficulties making making payments on time? What if our customers start canceling their service? And how are we going to react? What are, what are what are our strategies to ensure that you know we we're focusing our resources on business continuity? And as and I mentioned before, the most important thing for us is our customers and our employees. And and so when we're faced with COVID nineteen, we're we're certainly asking the, the questions of what is going to be the general broader impact. And I will tell you that we've all been shocked. I don't care you know, whether you listen to investment bankers or you listen to the media, you listen to the, we've all been shocked at just the rate at which the, the things have changed. And that means that you need to be very agile on how you're thinking about and adapting quite quickly to um, managing as best you can your expenses in line with what your revenue expectations are. Now, from a, from a, SaaS perspective, we're we're probably in this situation too, from a walk me perspective, where there's a lot of things that that are incenting our business because people are working from home from the first time and they're trying to use applications that they never thought they'd have to use before. And and getting and having a remote workforce be productive is something that that can definitely help us. Well, that's true, but it's also it's also true that that just an overall shock to the system the way this has been is is going to be more negative and that's where we need to be uh, mindful of you know the very basics which is you know what is your payables expectation what is your receivables expectation and how do you manage those in line with what your current available cash is you know for a startup like us it's very important for us to to maintain our cash positions and and that will enable us to sustain the business and our customers and employees and so those trade-offs we're making every day um, and we're, we're both asking the right questions of what could happen, but also very quickly adjusting when, when the reality occurs. I, I just want to uh, point out that you just entered this office. You, uh, well, you entered it in March of 2020, which uh, uh, years from now, when you look back at this chapter, uh, this will be the one that opens with the pandemic, the company that you entered uh along with the pandemic unfortunately yeah it's been a crazy it's been a crazy few weeks and i will tell you it's uh, it's been birthed by fire the, the the first day i joined we were talking about canceling our user conference and what the implications were of going virtual and every day it's been about reviewing you know some of the basics uh in the business and, and questioning you know how much how much do we really believe we're going to sign up this quarter and how much do we really believe that we're going to be able to collect by the end of the month and 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 i think you're right it's a, it's going to be a defining moment we'll all look back on and and hopefully we'll do the right things with respect to um 
to to helping and assisting our customers in, during this period. I mean, I would like to to see that if someone was going to write about how walk what walk we did during this time frame, it was bringing things like our desktop product to market very quickly to respond to to customers' needs and you know not asking for POs at that point in time. Let, let let's get you up and running. Let's get you focused and being a real partner for our customers. I mean, that's the legacy that I want to I want to make sure that we leave. And that um, you know, if if someone's, we had a we had a the French um, Ministry of Health uh, ask us, you know, quite pleadingly to ensure that they could get doctors on board as quickly as possible, and we didn't we didn't wait for the paperwork on that. We just did it, you know, and and that's the that's the response that I'm so proud of already in our culture is that we took we took the customer situations first and we we implemented. When we come back, CFO Andrew Casey enters the mentoring round. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. Hi, we're back with CFO Andrew Casey, and we're entering the mentoring round. This is where I usually ask, what is it that's exciting you about finance and business today? It seems like a silly question in light of what we're experiencing right now. But what is it about finance and business that, that continues to intrigue you? What is it that gets you up in the morning? You know what, today... I, I'm really excited about it because I think I, I think in terms of the spectrum of what uh, companies look for in a CFO over the last you know call it 30 years has has changed dramatically back and forth. And um, at one point in time, there was there was a lot of fraud going on. We re all remember Enron. We remember Sox 404 coming to place. And then everybody was looking for a CFO that had audit experience and technical competence because they were interested in, in risk aversion. They were making sure that they could mitigate any type of, of uh, financial risk that they could. And having a strong accountant at the lead would was going to do that. Um, I'd say that that that's now shifted absolutely opposite way where the CFO is really looked to be that strategic partner within the business who has operational know-how, who is increasingly looking at how technology can transform the function and digitally transform uh, the business. And I think that that's, it's exciting to me because I think that that's what I've been investing myself in, I'm investing time and effort in myself and developing those skills. And you mentioned it earlier, I've done a number of large high technology company experiences. Well, I'd say that a lot of them were in that operational and strategic type role. So it's it's exciting to me because I think that the the things that I've been telling people about building abroad, the people that I mentor, building a broad base of experience, getting lots of, of different things that you do, building that business acumen, I think is going to benefit them long term because that's what that's what companies are looking for in their CFOs in the future. They're, they're not just looking for somebody who can do the accounting and reporting. They're looking for that strategic business leader. Uh, I'm going to change this next question. Usually I, I ask because you're just arriving. So I don't want to uh, 
you know, what is that piece of advice you'd give yourself as you just arrived? You're just arriving. I think you, you've outlined your priorities for us nicely. But um, how I'd like to ask this, I, yeah, I, again, I'm struck by, and you explained, it, this was the opportunity where the set of skills were there that, that matched up perfectly with, with this opportunity. You felt it was time. It's interesting that you shared with us that the CEO said, I'm not, we're trying to, we know we want you. We want to convince you. Uh, it's not a question of that. It was interesting how you explained that because I get a sense of, yeah, there were opportunities in your past that you just did not pursue. There had to have been. So uh, is there is there any one example where you got down the, uh, I hate the metaphor, down the aisle a little further uh, th than others or no, you just, uh, you just stuck with, um, with your career track inside large enterprise. Uh, there were great opportunities. Don't get me wrong, but again, you're in Silicon Valley and we're convinced you go out to a, a Starbucks and you're surrounded by this, this, uh, Silicon Valley startup rap that would convince anybody, uh, you know, to, to have changed lanes earlier. You know what? Um, there have been, there have been, and, and I would tell you, even when um, even when I was a service now, I was um, certainly uh, potential to take over the CFO role there, and it was one of those those situations where um, you know, once again, being a CFO, being a city, sitting CFO was very important. That was one of the key criteria, and, and I couldn't change that. But um, I I had decided that I was going to go ahead and hone up my interview skills, and I started interviewing just to just to make sure I was ready. Because I hadn't done it in a long time, and so I, I took one of those um, calls to go interview with a I'll just call it a um, a high tech firm within the valley that was that was trying to go through its own digital transformation, and it's one that it's it's very well known, about six billion dollars in revenue, and um, soon to really suit you know my skill set as well. And I and I went in and interviewed, and uh, with the the CEO, and um, he had we had a good good connection. We had a good conversation. And he said, look, you're the, you're, this will be reminiscent to my, my investor relations, this, but he said, you're the dark horse in this, in this conversation because you don't have, you haven't been a CFO and we're interviewing four other uh, candidates who have been CFOs. And I said, okay, no problem. Um, and as we went through the interview process, they kept that, you know, talking to me about, you know, what they wanted from the CFO. And it was somebody who had SaaS experience. They wanted somebody who was very operational, somebody who has helped to transform a go-to-market organization, somebody who's done a business turnaround. And, and I, you know, I kept checking the boxes. Yep, yep, yep. I've done those types of things. And the conversations and stories that I would tell people about those, those experiences seemed to resonate. And so as the interview process went on over a number of weeks, I kept getting calls back and saying, look, now this is down to three candidates. And then it came down to, now it's down to two candidates. And when it came down to me and another candidate, I, uh, I honestly, I looked at my wife and I said, you know what, I, I think this is the wrong opportunity. And, and it was one of those moments where my wife who's very supportive said, you know, what are you talking about? This is a great company. It's one of those, it's one of those things that you should you should go be the CFO of this very public company that's going through this transformation, and it'll be great for your career. It, it, I mean, think about what would happen if you went in and you you were able to accomplish those those major turnarounds. I mean, you did them at other places, but you you weren't the leader. You didn't get all the accolades. You didn't get all the recognition. You could do that here. And I said to her, you know that you're right, but the opportunities just 
there's something wrong with it. It's the, the team's not as bought into the digital transformation story. I know the CEO is, but the team isn't. The culture is is not one that that really suits me. It's it's a little it's a little off. You know, you just get those sense in those interviews where where there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of passive aggressiveness, or there's a lot of you know cynicism. And 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 I thought about it for a long time, and I and I and I came to the conclusion I just I really didn't want the job. And if you don't, if you're, if one thing I've learned is if you're not, if you're not really into, if you're not passionate about it, you're not driven by it, you're not motivated. And, and that, that was going to hold me back. And I just felt that it was the wrong opportunity. Now, fortunately, they came back and told me, you know, we're really going to go with someone who's already done it. We're going to go with the sitting CFO rather than you. So it was a little bit fortuitous. I didn't have to, I didn't have to say no, but the, um, but I knew that I would if they'd offered it. Great, great, great insight into decision making. We know these things are are often um, made in just such a way. There's so many factors. Uh, we like to ask our guests to think a little bit about their personal habits and routines and how they might contribute to their professional success. Is there anything that you do or have a daily routine of some kind that you think in some ways has paid dividends on the professional side? You know what? I think that um, as you ask that question, I think that there's I'm a very visual person. Um, you know, I listen, I, li I learn, but a lot of times I'll, I'll, I'll take notes, you know, I'll write things down, I'll go back to them. And when, even when I'm doing a presentation, you know, I, what I start with is a blank sheet of paper and a pen and I start drawing down, you know, the, the essence of what I want to communicate, you know, and I, I try not to be too verbose on slides, for instance, I use a lot of, a lot of pictures and a lot of, uh, of representations. And I think that helps me to really solidify my thought process and, and ask those key questions. Hey, if, if I make this decision, what are the implications of that? And then and what, what questions would be asked? It helps me form, if you will, my own decision-making process. And it's, it's, it's what I have to always tell people, it's, it's playing chess, not checkers. You know, you, you understand the moves you're going to make, and then you can easily articulate them in in a very representative way and, and slides and presentations is what we've grown up with you know it's how we communicate effectively with people and um that's something i think i do almost every day now it doesn't always have to be a big presentation sometimes it's a little presentation but drawing things out making them uh, visual really helps to to gr ground me in uh, my decision processes great is there a book you'd recommend to uh, aspiring finance leaders, doesn't have to be a business book. Okay, so um, the two books that I would rep represent, one of them is *The Effective Executive* by Peter Drucker. Now, it's a little bit of an older, an older book, but I, you know, I went to the Claremont Graduate School for Management, and it's a Peter Drucker School of Business, and um, he wrote that book a long time ago about you know how how executives uh, need to act, I mean, what they should consider, and I went as I was. Actually, as I was coming into this role, I was I went back and, and reread some of those things, and it it just resonates so much with me about you know um, servant leadership and and how you should be approaching you know change in an organization and influencing and negotiating, and it's uh, it's one that's had a powerful impression on me not only you know as a younger person, but it it's one of those timeless books that when you read it as a younger person, they don't, the examples don't always matter. They don't always resonate. They don't always, you don't always have the experience to understand the importance of it. 
So rereading it and, and going through some of those things is just really solidified how timeless Peter was and um, just reminds me of how to do things. It's like, this probably didn't mean anything before, you know, when I was younger, but today the most scarce commodity you have as an executive is your time. And if you don't manage your time effectively, then you're not really managing effectively. And immediately that dawned on me, I need to go back and look at how I'm spending my time. And it made me rethink about how when I, when I schedule meetings, how we've got to we've got to be very efficient about it and say, look, what's the purpose of the meeting? What's the desired outcome? You know, and if there's a decision to be made, who's who's got the decision rights? Um, those are the things that I've I've told people who would report to me or even administrative assistants when when meetings are requested of me. I want to know these things. I don't need to know the books necessarily. I need to know the subject matter, and I need to know what's the desired outcome. And so. That book um, still means something to me. Um, the other one I would say is is Crucial Conversations, and it's uh, by a host of uh, authors. And for there, it's it's about having it's about having courage. It's about having courage in conversations. You know, um, it's not our job to necessarily sugarcoat things. You know, for people, it's it's a, it, especially the role of the CFO to be transparent, and honest, and direct. Now that doesn't mean you're derogatory. That but doesn't mean you're condescending. It means it means you're you're have courage to have a conversation with someone about a difficult issue. And and I think that if you really value your employees and the people who work for you, being honest with them and establishing trust is is the the foundation for an effective working relationship. And that book reminds us all to have the, the crucial conversations when they need to be had. Some great uh, selections. Thank you. And we're finally up to our last question where we ask you to look forward and share with us your priorities as a finance leader over the next 12 months. Yeah, so that's a, it's very a very timely question. It's one that I'm actually establishing for the company at, at WalkMe and um, and for my organization. You know, and and I first would say I'll, I'll dive into just to the specifics around our uh, our finance and operations organization. You know, the first priority for me is building the foundation of a world class finance group, and it's and it's one that um, starts with understanding you know the the needs of the business and then what functions and, and processes we need to build in place um so i've seen what it looks like to be in a world-class execution company and uh, i would say we don't have it but we're going to build it we're going to build it at WalkMe. and so one of my first steps is kind of building some core processes and building out the organization um that comes from you know having a forecasting process you know we talked about having a, a pricing strategy having some discipline and cadence with our sales team, you know, on, on their selling process and partnering with the businesses to do that. So partnering with our sales leader, partnering with our services leader to make sure that we're ready to to have an execution machine in place that that when the opportunities are there, we can we can take advantage of them and that my my team is then supporting them. So first kind of building some of those foundations. Um, and then longer term, I want us to be a, a I want us to be that that organization that provides the critical data insights for people to make decisions and, and putting the appropriate controls in place too, so that the guardrails are there about you know how you expand. Um, you know, we're as mentioned before, WalkMe is a growth business, but it's not growth at any cost. You know, we have to be we have to be prudent about and, and strategic about where we're making investments and expect a level of return for that. Um, much like any business would say, but it's easy sometimes in the valley that people rationalize growth 
at any cost. And, and that's certainly not the way I think we should build a business. Andrew Casey, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a, been a pleasure. Hello, listeners. Do us a favor. Be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts. Or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or Google Play. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 Print Edition debuts on Amazon this quarter featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? Order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening.